Well, this morning I'd like for you to go back to Genesis chapter 5, if you will. Genesis chapter 5. Now, last week we began somewhat of an introduction to this particular chapter. And uh, I guess what I can say is that uh, today we're going to just continue our introduction to this chapter, part two. And then next time we're going to be a little bit more specific with the names that we're going to be reading today because the names in this genealogy do indeed tell us a story. They tell us of God's purposes and plans for mankind. But before we do that, we want to also look at some very specific issues that deal with uh, a couple of things that we're going to be looking at as we read this section. So let's get right into reading it. It says in Genesis 5 verses 1, and we'll read down through verse 27. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years. And he begat sons and daughters, and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enosh, and Seth lived after he begat Enosh 807 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enosh lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalil. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalil 800 and 40 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. And Mahalalil lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. And Mahalalil lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalil were 890 and 5 years and he died. And Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. After he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, 
for God took him. A little different. We'll deal with Enoch later. And Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and 2 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years. And he died. Following this, of course, we read of Lamech, who eventually gives birth to his son Noah. I mention Noah because he'll be the tenth of the patriarchs that we'll see in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the blessing now and anointing now of your Holy Spirit so that we might come to a greater understanding of these verses as well as this whole chapter. Fill us, Lord, with that wisdom and understanding that comes only from you so that we may stand firm and stand tall and stand strong in the very word that you have given us that is for us our bread, our meat, and our life. We thank you for it, God, and we bless you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That reminds me, I'm sure your phones are on vibrate. <laughs> it's been said by a very well-known preacher that in one sense, and I quote, chapter 5 is one of the most discouraging and despondent or hopeless chapters in the Bible. Now the reason is simply that it is like walking through a cemetery. This is what this preacher says. It's like walking through a cemetery. And he uses as his proof text Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22. First he quotes from Genesis 2, 16 and 17 and I add 16 for context. But here in verse 16 it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, as speaking of Adam, God speaking to Adam, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die and then he jumps over to the New Testament and quotes from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 and the very first part of the verse he says for as in Adam all die and so at least in the understanding of this preacher of coming to the uh, introduction as well as through most of the body of this particular chapter you know there's a little bit of discouragement because we see men that come into the into the picture here in, in the world we find that there are men who are in the line that is leading to the Messiah Jesus Christ but throughout all of this except for one uh, person exception they all die and yet this genealogy this great genealogy for all the reality that it presents to us of the consequences of man's fall offers for us a bright ray of hope in a seemingly dark day and what is that hope the hope is the fact of God's promise that a redeemer would one day be born of the woman and conquer the serpent. Which is the fulfilling 
of Genesis chapter 3.15, which if we go back to read it says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is God speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, singular. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And in our study of Genesis chapter 3.15, we know that that seed of the woman is Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. So Adam and Eve were given that particular promise. It was their hope. But through whom would that hope come? You see, Abel, the godly son of Abraham, uh, I'm sorry, of uh, Adam and Eve, Abel was dead. He was killed. So he couldn't beget a child, at least not the child that would eventually be or, or lead to the, to the Messiah. Cain, the ungodly murderer of his brother Abel, walked away from God and his family, and so we know that he is discounted here. And so how would God's promise then be fulfilled? How could it be fulfilled? Well, we should certainly know that the Lord is sovereign over all things and in all things, and, and his plans are not upset or frustrated by the foolish and sinful ways of man. God's ways will never be upset or frustrated by the foolish ways and the foolish things and the sinful ways of man. So we are ever to be mindful of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 when Paul says, where Paul says in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to, now notice this, according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. We need to be mindful of that. That there is one who has purpose and in him, he works all of these purposes and all of these plans and all of these things after the counsel of his own will. Not our will. God's will. That's an encouragement. And of course, we could go all the way back to the book of Psalms and see that the psalmist in Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he has pleased. The New King James says he does whatever he pleases. Well, praise God. This God that is perfect, that is righteous, that is just, that is true. He is a God that can do whatever he pleases. And no one or no thing is going to get in the way of this God doing that. So this is indeed an encouragement for us as we are now having to deal with more than just the long list of descendants of Adam that will eventually take us to that seed singular of the woman. And that being Jesus Christ himself. So we now have to deal with a few matters of importance. We have to deal with the ages of the patriarchs mentioned here by name in this genealogy. Didn't it uh, strike you interesting as we were reading that there were people that were over 900 years old? And if God says that they were 900 years old, then I have to believe they were 900 years old and more. 
and a little less. So we have to understand why, and that's what we're going to try to focus on today. But by the way, the, the, facts, or the fact that names are recorded for us here in this genealogy, let me just interject this before we go on. But the, the fact that names are recorded for us in this genealogy, genealogy should remind us that God is concerned to record the names and the deeds of those who were faithful to him, especially in such a critical time in history. And let me tell you that this is a critical time in history, and it is indeed in history. You may not find this in your, tech, in your uh, uh, public school textbooks, but we find it in the most important textbook of all, which is God's Word. It is our history. And it was a critical time in history. And God has chosen to name names here of his faithful men. Now Martin Luther, for whatever you may think of him, was impressed with these individuals mentioned. He wrote that most of them were living at the same time, mainly because their lifespans were so long. They were living at the same time. And then he noted this, and, and I quote from Martin Luther. He said, this is the greatest story, I'm sorry, this is the greatest glory of the primitive world. That it had so many good, wise, and holy men at the same time. We must not think that these are ordinary names of plain people, but next to Christ and John the Baptist, they were the most outstanding heroes this world has ever produced. Now, Luther surmised that on the last day, we would all behold and admire their grandeur for having endured the wiles of the serpent. Now think about that. They weren't that far removed from what happened in the Garden of Eden. And so the very wiles of the serpent were still around. Of course, we know that a lot of that went with Cain and, and then his line. So he, uh, Luther says, we're, we're going to admire these, these men for, for, for what they had to endure at that very critical time in history. The, the wiles of the serpent. And, and then they comforted and they maintained themselves by means of the hope of the seed against the outrages of, of the world or even of the Canaanites. They maintained themselves together. They comforted each other. They stood fast against the wickedness of the enemy. And we know that two of these patriarchs are honored in the Hall of Faith, which is in Hebrews chapter 11. Where it says in verses 5 through 7, by faith Enoch, the one who was actually the, young, the youngster at 365 years. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him, changed him. We're going to talk about Enoch a little bit later, very specifically. But by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translations he had this testimony that he pleased God. That is Enoch's testimony. That is to be our testimony. That in everything we do we please God. But without faith, Paul goes on to say, it is impossible to please him. 
So now we know that Enoch was a man of faith, a man who trusted God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we are to do today. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then the author says, by faith Noah, and he adds Noah to this list. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So these two men, Enoch and Noah, here in, in essence represent these patriarchs of this very critical time in history. The time before the flood. The time before all things begin to change on planet earth. Drastically. And so God does not leave names out. And the reason is because he is more interested in people than we are. You might remember that we began last week talking a little bit about how some people think that genealogies are boring. And if it were up to us, we wouldn't put so many names in them. But folks, that's what a genealogy is. It involves people's names. It lets us know that God truly does care about people. And the fact of the matter is, and we should be thankful for this, the fact of the matter is God cares more about people than we do, and, and, and that's a good thing. But we should care about people too. That's, a, that's our example, you see. I mean, consider what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, Then they, fear, they that fear the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance, notice, a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. What a beautiful verse of scripture. What a beautiful passage we're given here. That God would write a book of remembrance with those who feared the Lord, who thought upon his name. He says, they're going to be mine. And we ought to ask ourselves that question. Am, am I trusting in the Lord as Enoch and Noah trusted and, and had faith in the Lord? The faith that pleases God? Do I, can, can, I, can I say that, that, that I, I fear the Lord as the, the scripture says that we're to fear the Lord in holiness? Do we, do we also think upon his name? And these are good things for us to consider. You know, anytime we read something like this, we should ask ourselves where we stand in these issues. It's not just to read about him for other people. Listen, we're to be this way too. And the beautiful thing is that here God writes this book of remembrance. Listen, books are important to God. And in most of God's books, what does he have? Names. You go all the way to the book of Revelation and you realize there's a, there's a book called the book of life with the names of all those who will be alive forever before the throne of God. My hope and prayer is that your name will always be in that book. I hope you want your name in that book. 
Yes? Good. Good. It's okay. You can talk to me. It's all right. At least briefly. We've got to go, go on. Yes, we need our names in that book. Our, we, our names should be in that book. God loves everyone in that book. So names are important. But let's get to the task at hand here. The question we want to deal with today is, can a person really live to be 900 years old? Or did people actually live to be 900 years old at some time on this earth? Let's go back. Let's consider this particular issue. Go back to verse 3. It says, and Adam lived 130 years. Already, that's longer than a lot of people on this earth. I don't think anybody's close to about 130. I think somebody died recently who was about 120. But it says, Adam lived 130 years and then begat a son in his own likeness. I mean, he was 130 years old and he's still having kids. And he said he begat a, it says that he begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth, appointed. Being the appointed one that God had chosen now for the line that would extend all the way to Jesus. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters, continued in other words to have children. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. And he died. We heard that phrase a lot when we read the whole passage. And he died, and he died, and he died. It's the reality that came into being because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Men began to die. But they didn't die right away. You know, since, Bibli uh, since biblical genealogies are not always complete, uh, it is difficult to establish a truly reliable timeline as, as far as how long humans have been on this planet. Now, if there were no omissions of generations, let's say, in this particular genealogy, if there were no omissions of generations, then the time of Adam comes to be some four to 5,000 years before Christ. And uh, some, most would say that it was closer to 4,000 than 5,000 years before Christ. Uh, we're going to deal with the issue of, of when creation began uh, later on and when we deal with the, the flood and, and then talk about a young earth. But uh, for now, let's just kind of keep our, our focus and attention on, on, on the ages of these, of these people. So we would say that from, with no omissions in generations in this genealogy, then the time of Adam to Jesus was about 4,000 years. Now, some Bibles have even included in their margins at Genesis 1, verse 1, uh, James Usher's date of 4004 B.C. as the year of creation. And that's an interesting thing. Some of you may have that in your Bible. You might look in Genesis 1, verse 1. Uh, usually it's in a study Bible like uh, I think Thompson Chain reference has that or uh, Schofield, one, one of those study Bibles, but it would be off in the margin somewhere. And they just kind of throw it in there, you know, the date 
4004 BC as the date or the year of creation. James Usher, I believe, at one time was the Archbishop of Canterbury in, in England. And uh, he had written this, this work called The Annals of the Old Testament. And uh, so many, many Bible commentators kind of uh, looked to his, his particular research uh, as far as dating the earlier parts of, of the book of Genesis. Uh, but he was even more specific, if you want to know the truth, he was even more specific when he wrote in his annals that, that God actually created the heaven and the earth on Sunday, October 23rd, 4004. BC. Wow, that's pretty specific. And not only did he put the date and the, and the day in, but he even said it was at night. So, in the evening. So, I mean, it's just an interesting little tidbit. Uh, by the way, that date is also based on the Julian calendar, which we uh, continue to follow as well. Our, our calendar. But even, even with certain generations being skipped over and omitted. Now, that, that's if, if none were omitted. But even if there were generations in this particular genealogy that, that may have been skipped over and omitted, it would be hard to imagine that the time of Adam was significantly more than possibly 10,000 years before Jesus' birth. Again, looking at this young earth uh, concept and, and understanding uh, from, from what we read in the scriptures. And while all of this may put the biblical record at an inconceivable discrepancy with the claims of modern science, there are still good reasons to believe that God created the earth with age built in. Even as Adam and the trees of the Garden of Eden had age built into them. I mean, let's face it, when we studied the, the, the creation of man... Adam wasn't made as a baby day one, as babies are today, born day one, little. No, he was created man with age built in. When God put the trees on, on, on the dry land, they were already bearing fruit, age built in. So when the animals were created, they were created with age built in. So age becomes a, a struggle for, you know, between modern science and, 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 and biblical understandings here of creation. But here's where faith comes in. How much research can modern science do that it's, that it's plausible because of the need for observable evidence? That's why, that's why we can still say that, the, that, that evolution is a theory, not real science, yet the scientists today say, well, evolution is all we've got, so it's science. But nobody was there to observe the creation of the heavens and the earth. We believe it by faith. Because we believe the God that wrote the scriptures, that gave us the scriptures, we believe him wholeheartedly. And if God said that in the beginning he created the heaven and the earth the way he did, then he did it that way. So now for 1,500 years after creation, men live such long lives. And we're putting it within that span of 1,500 years. So for 1,500 years of crea after creation, men live such long lives that most were either contemporaries of Adam or personally knew someone who was. And what's interesting about that is that all of them were related to Adam. They all were his Sons, daughters, uh, uh, grandsons, great-grandsons, great-great-great-grandsons, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
All of them. Because he was that. The ten patriarchs, not counting Enoch now, but the ten patriarchs uh, who preceded the flood lived an average of 912 years. Now just to give you an idea of their, of their age spans, I don't know if we can put it up there. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Notice the ages right, right next to each other. 930, 912, 905, 910, 895, 962, 365, 969, 777, 950, 777. That poor guy died really young. You know, later. He died the youngest at 777 years. And Methuselah, if you'll see there, 969. That was the oldest. He lived the longest. 969. We're going to talk about him a little bit later, too. But in comparison now to that, during the thousand years following the flood, the scriptures record a progressive decline in the lifespan of the patriarchs. From Noah, who lived to be 950 years old, until Abraham, who lived only up to 175 and so you can see in this next slide, the ages from Shem on down, 600, 438, 433, 464, 239. Do you see the decline? Uh, 239, 230, 148, 205, 175. And... Uh, so now something's happening, something's taking place here. As a matter of fact, Moses, by the way, going all the way now into the book of Exodus for just a moment, Moses was extraordinarily old for his time. We all should know that Moses lived 120 years. His whole life was divided into three sections. His first 40 years were in Egypt, his next 40 years were in, in the wilderness. And the next 40 years was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and taking them to, up to the promised land. Kind of very clear demarcation lines in the life of Moses. But at that particular time, 120 years was extraordinarily old. And the reason we know that is because Moses himself reflected on the brevity of life when he wrote in Psalm 90 verse 10 because Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses Moses says the days of our years are threescore years and ten and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away what is a score threescore fourscore well you remember Abraham Lincoln wrote in his uh, Gettysburg address Four score and seven years ago. That's 87 years. A score is 20 years. Well, New King James makes it clear for us. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So he's talking about the fact that 70 to 80 years, that's, that's pretty much the lifespan now in Moses' time, which is what it is for us even today. The averages are still the same. They haven't really increased, and if they have, it's been very, very slight. Very slight. 
But rather than go into the great or go into great detail as to the biological causes of aging, such as genetic determinants and mutations and genetic bottlenecks, which is the breaking down of DNA, the telomeres, the chromosomes, and all of that, we're, we're not going to go into all of that today. Let's just consider what kept the earlier patriarchs around for so long. Why did they get to be 900 years old? You know, it can simply be said that people lived much longer before the flood because the degenerative effects of the fall on the human gene pool had not yet accumulated greatly. Remember, we are moving from a perfect environment into, you know, and, and the unperfect or imperfect environment is, is just, just gradually beginning to take place. So the, the, uh, uh, the gene pool hadn't been yet affected because the, the mutations and all the other problems were not uh, accumulated greatly. And, and then because the environment in the pre-flood uh, world was so different with a blanket of water vapor surrounding the earth, uh, we have to deal with that uh, when we get to the flood as well. Uh, two other factors would have been higher uh, atmospheric pressures that would exist in such an environment and the uniform temperatures around the globe at that time. So all of those factors uh, have to be taken into consideration when we consider that Adam lived to be 930 years old and Methuselah 969 years old. Over that long period of time, there was a decline, but it was very gradual. And what a long, long life Adam had. 930 years. But nevertheless, God makes it clear to us he died. He did die. And as we read and study through this genealogy, it is interesting that God takes notice of the death of each of these saints. God always takes notice of the death of his saints. And yet nothing is said of the death of the line of children begotten of Cain. Remember, we already mentioned that back in chapter 4. Nothing is said of them. But God says, these men, they, they did die. But I've taken note of that. God takes note of even a little sparrow that falls from the sky and dies. God is aware of that sparrow. The God who clothed the fields with the beautiful flowers and, and the vegetation that surrounds us. He says, how much greater, how much greater would I give to my people, to my creation? It's interesting that in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God even cares about those who have walked away like Cain and the rest of those who followed after Cain. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, Say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? He's speaking about his own people. 
Cain was one who offered sacrifices, or at least he offered offerings unto the Lord. Didn't offer the right one, but he offered unto the Lord. And then walked away. At some point in time, some of us may have walked away from God and God called us back to him. Because he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's the wonderful God that we have. But consider Psalm 116 verse 15 where it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because his saints now, you know, have put away that that outward shell of body. And now they are in the presence of God. They are now home where they have been predestined to be. Home in the Lord. Let, let me add one more thing before, before we go on. Doctors David Menton and, and Georgia Perdon, writing for Answers in Genesis, on the subject of living 900 years of age, they, they made this astounding comment. Now, they've been writing about the, the ages of, of, of all of these patriarchs and, and giving some scientific understanding to the breakdowns of the chromosomes and all of that stuff we were talking about earlier. But they came, with, with all of that said, they said this, the important point is, the important point is that science offers no hope for eternal life. Or even for the significant lengthening of life. It has been estimated that if complete cures or preventions were found for the three major killers, which are cancer, stroke, and coronary artery disease, the maximum lifespan of man would still not increase. Although more people would approach this maximum. And such long-lived people would still become progressively weaker with age as critical components of their body continue to deteriorate. What they're saying is what I, is what I said earlier. What was the average age of, 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 of life for man in Moses' time is the same for us. 70 to 80 years. And doesn't it astound us sometimes? And I think we've all been affected by this in one way or another. Just putting aside for just a moment those accidents that take the lives of such young people. But of those who live in their 30s, 40s, 50s, up to only those particular ages, and they die due to certain uh, physiological or uh, medical reasons. There are those who live into their 70s, 80s, and 90s even. But not many, many go beyond that. So from the time of Moses to, the, to our day, it's been the same. What does that say about God's word? It says how true God's word is. 
And despite all of the medical advancements we've had, and look at all the technologies. I used to work in, in the medical field back in the early, early 70s. And I, I'd just be totally lost with all this new stuff that they have. That, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's a lot easier nowadays. You know, you go to the doctor, now they stick some little paper plastic thing in your mouth, and in about three seconds they know what your temperature is. You know, we, has to, we used to have two kinds of thermometers, you remember? <laughs> and you better know which one was which. You know, they, and they still say, you know, that, the thing that they use for the, air, you know, for the, uh, the blood pressure, you know. And, and now they do something and, you know, and then, then you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's the same, you know, you, 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 those, they say that the old ones still work uh, just as good or even better sometimes. But, but the, the point is, you know, with, with all those advancements, people still die. Now, we may conclude that God's word, not science, but that God's word has the complete solution to the problem of aging and death. And here's the solution. It is what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And it's really verse 10, but let me just begin at verse 8, because Paul says to Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the gospel, or the testimony, I'm sure, of the testimony of our Lord. You have to forgive me here, it's really dry up here today. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us. Now begin listening carefully here. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Notice verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. He has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You want to live beyond 900 years? You need to know Jesus Christ. I mean, let, let's, 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 be, let's be brutally honest here. If you never receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you also will have an eternal life. But it will be, it will be an eternal life that will be separated from God. It will be, in, a, in some sense of, of, of an utter darkness, it will be in a, in a place of, of burning fire. It will be not in a, and that would be forever, by the way. And we could do like a lot of people do and just say, well, we don't believe that. We don't believe that there's a hell. 
we can start believing the theology of John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. But what's so insightful about that particular view is that you have to imagine it because you see the reality is those do exist. And as Paul has said it so clearly in Romans chapter 1, man knows what the truth is, but man chooses to reject the truth. Jesus Christ has abolished death. When he died on that cross and rose again from the dead on the third day, he abolished death. Yes, we're still on a cursed world. Yes, these bodies are still affected by this, this cursed world. But it's in that place where you are to meet God and the very spirit that is now alive because of the work of Jesus Christ in you. That is who you are. That is who you'll be for eternity. And there'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth. And those who leave this life to be with God forever will have new bodies. And then we will be before the throne of God forever. We'll have responsibility, we'll have life, but it will be a life forever before God. So you see, when we look at verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, it, it just yells out something. A redeemer would be born. A redeemer would be born. It is such an interesting thing that in biblical history, so often the birth of a baby had made a difference between defeat and victory for God's people. Consider that during the Jews' most difficult years in Egypt, Moses was born and became the liberator of his people. Consider that when the lamp of prophecy was burning very low, Samuel was born to bring Israel back to God's word. And when the kingdom was disintegrating under Saul, God sent a son to Jesse, whom he named David, the man God chose to be the next king of Israel. At one of the lowest points in Jewish history, and this can be tied into what we're studying here about the line of Seth on. That at one of the lowest points in Jewish history, by God's grace and by God's sovereignty, one little boy continued the messianic line from David. One little boy. Second Kings 11 gives us this account. Verses 1 through 3, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. All the royal seed would be destroyed because of this wicked woman. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her in the house of the Lord. Six years. Can you imagine hiding a child for six years? In the temple. And Athaliah did reign over the land. But you see, God is sovereign. 
God is providential. And in spite of Satan's attacks and the disobedience of his people, God was faithful to work so that his promise of a redeemer would be fulfilled. God is faithful always, folks. As we today see this world turning more and more towards sin and rebellion, we should be encouraged by God's sovereignty and his his ability to accomplish all of his purposes. This is really what we want to see here before we leave today. That by God's sovereignty and his ability to accomplish all of his purposes, there would be a Redeemer. A Redeemer who was prophesied by Micah would be born in Bethlehem. A Redeemer who Isaiah would say in chapter 7 that he would be born of a virgin. A Redeemer who Isaiah later on in chapter 9 would say unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he would come to destroy the works of the devil, the works of the serpent. He would come to destroy sin and death so that all who believe in him would bear the benefits of his great victory for us. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may come in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus, his Son, and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Has he not done great things for you? Praise the Lord. Let's pray.